Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. The beginning of the week that changed the world. You know, we, we call this day Palm Sunday. We celebrate it. Um, we wave the palms. We shout Hosanna. But really, this is the most ironic day of the Christian year. It's ironic that while the Jewish high council was was plotting the demise of Jesus because of his popular ministry, the masses were gathering to shout Hosanna, to lay palms and clothing in the path of Jesus as he comes down from the Mount of Olives to enter through the Golden Gate and come into Jerusalem. And these same Followers, this crowd would be the ones who would gather outside the temple to shout, crucify him, crucify him. Do you hear the irony in that? While the crowd spread cloaks and palm branches in front of Jesus riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey as David had done victoriously centuries before Judas, one of Jesus' very own disciples, was plotting with the Pharisees to betray Jesus. And so naturally, some believed that this would be the end of Jesus. This would be the, the, uh, the beginning of the end for this Jesus problem that the Pharisees had. For Jesus would be arrested, tried, beaten, spat upon, convicted, and sentenced to death as a common criminal. And his crime? Blasphemy. He dared to say, the Father and I are one. And and so, they ask, as we often ask, who does he think he is? Who does this Jesus think that he is? And and really, the more important question for us is, who do we believe Jesus is? Who do we believe that Jesus is? And will we stand with Jesus? For the last six weeks, we've been talking about the Jesus-shaped life, and we've centered in on the different aspects of what it means to live a Jesus-shaped life. This week, we see the Jesus-shaped life as one of sacrifice on the one hand, as we experience the suffering of Jesus and glory on the other as we anticipate the resurrection of Jesus. For faithful Christians, the sacrifice that we make of ourselves, we sacrifice our self-concern to put God first in all things, is a life of joy and expectation of the greatness of God. To see Jesus as the only Son of God who gave his life for our sins and defeated death once and for all, that is our affirmation. 
And as we experience it, we're called to that Jesus-shaped life. It's not easy, yet it is glorious. For as we put God first in all things, we experience a joy that overcomes sorrow. A peace that stands against the world's hatred. And the unconditional love of God that will never let us go. This is the Palm Sunday that we long for. Not a hollow one of empty hosannas, but one that matters for the way that we live our life. So as we look at, uh, at this Palm Sunday story, as we consider what part that we will play this week, let's pray first and ask God to be with us. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Reverend Rosemary Brown tells a story of um, um, the envy that she had for a, a, a little boy when she was eight years old. He was spoiled. He was rather um, irritating. And the father gave to the boy a drum set. And it drove her crazy. Absolutely drove her crazy. And what little boy's name was Cheetah, what he wanted to do was he wanted to lead one Saturday a parade down their street to the teacher's house. And, and so Rosemary thinks to herself, I'm going to get him back. And so she talks to all of her friends and says, let's join him, okay? Let's, let's agree to this parade and let's follow him down the street. And when he gets to the teacher's house, let's hide behind the hedges. And so they all gather and Jeter starts down the street banging loudly on his drum set. You know, head back, knees thrown high, drumming, drumming, drumming. And when he gets to the end of the street, sure enough, all the children hide behind the hedges and he's left by himself. When he realizes he's alone, he whimpers, little band, where are you? And he begins to cry. Jesus wasn't an only child of an overindulgent father. But he was and is the only begotten son of God. He was born at a time and a place where a lot of the neighborhood kids wanted to be, <laughs> wanted to lead the parade. They, they wanted to be in charge. They wanted to be the ones in the front. So they whether they be scribes or Pharisees or, or those who were temple leaders, and they, instead of a drum, they would beat the law into the people as their means of control and leading them down a way that ultimately led to destruction. Then one day, the day we Christians call Palm Sunday, Jesus from Nazareth, led a parade from the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley into the Golden Gate, the gate where the prophets had said the Messiah would enter. 
the gate where the Messiah said, where the prophets had said, this is the gate through which the new Messiah will come. And he goes through the golden gate into the neighborhood of the kids who really wanted to be in control. And the crowd shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And I'm sure those Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders wanted to stomp his drum and break the sticks. (laughs) They just couldn't stand this Jesus. Who does he think that he is? And more serious than the jealousy of an eight-year-old, they premeditated his demise. Were they jealous? Yes. They were jealous. But their plotting carried with it a sentence of death. They schemed about his future as a band leader, and they used the law to trap him. And you know, as, as I look at this story and as I, as I, as I read the scripture, I realize that Jesus, Jesus knew that the adoration of the crowd was only short-lived. He knew they were blinded by their history of expecting a different kind of Messiah. They expected an earthly king who would deliver them from... <laughs> and listen to how familiar this sounds. That would deliver them from unfair taxes poverty, and political oppression. A king who would return Israel to political prominence and nationalistic power. But this is not why Jesus came. Jesus came to establish God's rule on earth, not the rule of nations. Jesus came to earth to offer a new way to live in harmony with God and each other. Jesus knew what was coming as he made his way down that road from the Mount of Olives. He knew the rejection, the suffering, the death that was before him and the glory of the resurrection that was to come, the victory. Jesus knew what was coming. Luke tells us, Luke tells us in chapter 19, verses 41 and 42, he he says there that as he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus knew. While the crowds cheered and shouted, Hosanna, to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus responds quietly. Head bowed. Weeping over Jerusalem. Not for his loss. But for ours. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the suffering that awaited him. But the tears were not for his suffering. The tears were for how far we drift from the person that God has intended us to be. And and, and really, the... The theme of this week, I mean, we look at his suffering. We look at, 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 at the movement of Jesus through this week. Really, 
This is, this is more about our restoration than anything else. Jesus is offering to us a new life, a new way to live, a resurrection, not just in the life to come, but in this life that is now. Now, we consider Palm Sunday to be a day of victory, a coronation of sorts. But it is more than that. For this king will be the one to liberate all people from the slavery of despair and death. His throne will not be a palace of gold, but it will be a hill where they execute criminals. His crown will not be one of gold and jewels, but will rather be one of thorns. The kingdom will not be of this world, but of all worlds. And the reign will not be calculated in years, but rather in eternity. That's our promise. That's why this week is so important. And, and, and just to say, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I can't wait for Easter. For me, that's not enough. We need to walk the way of this week, to walk the steps of Jesus, to take up the shouts of Hosanna, save us, please. But to do so knowing that we walk through the suffering of Jesus in order to get to the words, he is risen, he is risen, and so am I. So in order to understand, really, Easter, we must walk through the full range of events of Holy Week. Palm Sunday, yes, On Monday, he will cleanse the temple. He will throw out the money changers who are taking advantage of the piety of the people. On Tuesday, he will will teach those who will listen. And it is a difficult message. It inflames and infuriates the Pharisees and the Sadducees even more so as he challenges them directly in their own neighborhood. On Wednesday... The plot against him deepens. On Thursday, questions arise. It is on Thursday evening that he offers the Passover bread and the cup of forgiveness to his little band, knowing that among them is one who has already betrayed him and another who will deny knowing him that he ever knew him. And then comes the agony of Good Friday. There are some in the Christian community that say Friday is too much, that it is just too hard. Is it really necessary? Is Good Friday necessary? Is the suffering of Jesus necessary? Or, or, Or is it just an example of how much God loves us and we can just kind of push it aside? No, we cannot push it aside. It is for us, it is for us, in the death of Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins, the extent to which God will go to forgive us and remake us to the image that he created us to be. 
It is a sacrifice that has been given for us that without it, we cannot fully and nor, nor completely experience the Christian faith as it is intended. The crucifixion is for us. It is ours. And it is only through the crucifixion that we can fully experience the resurrection of Jesus. To know the glory of that resurrection that makes all things new. All, may, all things alive. Now, I want to be realistic at this point. I want to talk about our pain for a moment. I'll talk about Jesus' pain. What about our pain? Pain is a part of life. Whether it deals with uh, cancer or loss of a loved one or loss of something in our lives through separation, the ending of something of joy when there's nothing in it to, to replace it, the loss of good health or well-being. And, and, and I know and realize that those things don't just come and go in a week. They last months, years even a lifetime. We each have experienced the downside of what it means to be a human being. But here's the deal. (laughs) This is our week to affirm that even in the difficulty of life, there is yet glory that is to be revealed to us. Even in the pain of this existence. There is glory and newness that is before us. That God doesn't just leave us at the cross. He reclaims us in the empty tomb and in the resurrection. So I invite you to examine your pain this week as we also follow Jesus in his pain. And to offer that pain to God. And may the pain that Jesus suffered on the cross lead you to a deeper understanding of your journey to find meaning in the midst of the difficulties of life. Because God, hear this, God wants to turn all of our Good Fridays into Easter's. God wants to turn all of our Good Fridays into Easter. And may the glory of God's hope for resurrection draw us together in community and support for each other. May it bring us hope. May it bring us opportunity. And friends, right now, our world, our communities, our nation needs hope more than ever before. And we can be the ambassadors of that hope for this world. So there's two questions to consider this morning. Are you ready? As we move through this week, two questions. First, who is this Jesus for you? Who is this Jesus for you? Is he simply the drum major who went foolishly to Jerusalem knowing ahead of time that the triumphant entry would lead to defeat and death? 
Or can you and I answer that affirmation with the same affirmation that the soldier at the foot of the cross, when he heard the words of Jesus, the dying words of Jesus, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And he looks and says, surely this is the Son of God. Who is this Jesus for you? And second, where will you be this week? Where will I be when the call of Christ comes? Will we be with the drifting crowd? You know, there's going to be a lot of people here on Easter. (laughs) You know, isn't that amazing? They've anticipated that there will be around the world close to a billion people that will celebrate Easter. And only half of those will return the following Sunday. Will we be with the crowd who just simply follows when it is convenient? Never really thinking for ourselves, but simply following that which is popular and easy. Those who gathered uh, at the Kidron Valley to shout Hosanna and then so easily gathered to shout crucify him. Will we be with the conspiring Jewish leaders? Some of us will resist the call of Christ because the change that Jesus requires seems just too costly. And we want to be in control of our own lives. To give up this control to God is scary. It is is frightening. That was really at the core of, you know, we, we demonize the Jewish leaders. But in some ways, they're just like us. We don't like to give up control. We want to be in control. So shall we be like them? Shall that be our decision? For it's much better to think that we're in control even if our lives are desperate. Will we be with the dispersing disciples, the most faithful of the faithful who were there with Jesus all along the way for three years, who heard every word, who saw every miracle, who experienced every every divine action of Jesus and still retreated at the first sign of difficulty this week. These will be the ones who say, if God can't give me what I want, then I want no part of God. And this premature desertion is saddest of all. To give up when we're on the edge of glory. You know, it's like being, (laughs) it's like being, it's like being 30 points ahead in a championship game and the coach going, "Um, we concede. No, the glory is before us. Or shall we be at the foot of the cross? Only a few. There were only a few that stood at the foot of the cross. These are the ones that will live more fully in one minute than most experience in a lifetime. These are the ones that when life is most challenging, they know what's coming next. These are the ones who live with confidence and hope that God will not let us go. 
These are the ones who sing with Horatio Spafford, who had lost everything in 1871 in the Chicago fire. And two years later, trying to kind of get his family together, he sent his, his wife and his four daughters ahead of him to Europe, and he had business to do in Chicago. He was still trying to, to pull everything together. And in a shipping accident, only his wife survived. And in making his way to Europe to join her, he wrote these words. When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. As he held on to her and clung and, and held her in his arms, he would sing these words. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. So who is this Jesus? And where will you be when your name is called? 